Well, we're in a message series called Family Values. Our last message, Family Foundation, was a while ago. Uh, we had a missionary, we had a day off, and uh, several things happened, but it was about building our families on the foundation of God's Word. And if you missed that message, uh, all of our messages are online, both on our website and on our, uh, generally on our Facebook page as well. Today, our message is entitled, The Family of God. We're going to be talking about God's family and how God's family relates to our families, our human families. Now, a human family consists of parents and children, and this pattern for a human family comes from God's family. You can follow along. There's a white page in the middle of your program that has the verses written out, the outline for the message. I encourage you to take that out uh, as well. There's some study questions on the back that you can do on your own, or uh, oftentimes uh, life groups go through those as well. Ephesians 3 verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so God's family is made up of a heavenly Father and His children. Now not everyone is part of the family of God, as we're going to see today. But as God is the Father and the parent to all of His children, to all of God's children, so every human family follows the same pattern. We have parents, we have a father and their children. Although every person on this earth has been created by God, not everyone is a child of God according to God's word. John 1 verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so these verses make it crystal clear how someone becomes a child of God. A person must receive Jesus into their lives. They must believe in him in order to become a child of God. They then become born spiritually, born of God, spiritual children of God. Now, Jesus called this being born again. That's where the phrase comes from. There's other passage in John chapter 3 where Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born spiritually in order to become a child of God. And so being a child of God refers not to our natural physical birth, but of a spiritual birth through faith in Jesus Christ. So you don't become a child of God by being born to Christian parents. You don't become a child of God by going to church. You don't become a child of God by being baptized either as an infant or as an adult. You don't become a child of God by doing a lot of good things, by being better than your neighbor. You don't become a child of God by reading your Bible even every day. You become a child of God by believing in Jesus Christ. And so even though the entire family of God encompasses every believer on this earth, on this planet, the family of God is lived out in a local church family. We see in the New Testament that believers in a Local church family refer to one another as brothers and sisters. And maybe we don't do that enough. You know, that's kind of considered an old school thing, you know, to refer to one another as brothers and sisters. But it's true. We're children of God, and so we are siblings in God's family. We are brothers and sisters. We're all part of God's family. And so a true believer in Jesus Christ will always be part of a local church family of brothers and sisters, spiritual siblings. So today we're going to look at a take a closer look at what the Bible has to say about the family of God. And we're going to see how 
understanding God's family will help us in our own natural human families. So we're going to look at three questions today. First, we've already started to talk about this, but what, what is God's family? Now, some people do say that every human being is a child of God, and there, there is a general sense that's true because God has created every person. But we've already seen that being part of God's family as his child is a result of faith in Jesus Christ. And so God's family is spiritual. Let's look at what Jesus had to say about the family of God. It says in Matthew, 24 verse, Matthew 12, verse 49, it says, And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so Jesus was teaching an important lesson in these verses. The passage begins with Jesus' mother and his brothers looking for him. And so Jesus speaks to his disciples, points his hand at his disciples and says, here are my mother and my brothers. In other words, his disciples, those who believed in him, those who were following him, were members of his family. And then Jesus tells us, very importantly, how do we distinguish the members of his family? The members of Jesus' family, of God's family, are distinguished by doing the will of their heavenly Father. That's what they do. And so only those who are believers in Jesus will do the Father's will. And so God's family and his children are spiritual. And you can tell who the children of God are by looking at the fruit of their lives. True children of God will do the will of their heavenly father as his children. And so God's family not only is spiritual, but God's family consists of children of the promise. Romans 9.8 says, This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Now, there's quite a lot behind those verses. We'll briefly go over it here. You can read the whole passage to understand it. But in this passage, Paul is speaking of Abraham who had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was a child of the flesh. Ishmael was a, was a product of Abraham and Sarah trying to take things into their own hands to fulfill God's promise on their own. They went out and said, we're going to have children. It was not. Uh, Abraham had a child through the handmaid of of Sarah, it was not God's plan. Uh, Ishmael was not a child of the promise. God had promised that Abraham and Sarah would have a son in their old age. And as they got older and older, they kept believing God. And finally, the time came and Isaac was conceived and born. He was the son of promise. He was born because of the faith of Abraham and Sarah. And so the point in this passage is that not all the children of Abraham were considered or called the children of God. Only those who were the result of believing God's promise. In the same way, those who believe God's promise through Jesus Christ today are children of promise. Children of God. And God's promise of salvation is repeated many times in Scripture. We Already went through the verse in John chapter 1, verse 12. One such promise. Those who believe in Jesus, who receive him and put their faith in his name, are given the right to become the children of God, 
the children of the promise. And so as we've said before, natural children of believing parents are not automatically believers. Each child must make a decision to put their faith in Jesus Christ for themselves. Now, it's the parent's responsibility as believers to help their children make that most important decision. And the family unit of believing parents and believing children then becomes an expression of God's family on the earth. The Christian family should be a witness to other people of what God's family is like. And so the way that parents interact with their children should be an example of how God the Father interacts with His children. The way that siblings in a Christian family love one another should be an example of how people in believers in God's family love one another. The way that children interact with their parents should be a reflection of how we should interact with our Heavenly Father. And so our families together should shine the light of Christ out into our world. Second question we want to look at today is what is unique about God's family? I believe that the family of God is one of the most unique and wonderful of all of God's creations. There's nothing else like it on the earth. Now in the Bible, the family of God and the church of God are are essentially synonymous. The family of God consists only of believers. And the true church, likewise, consists only of believers. The true church is, is a spiritual church. Uh, we speak of, sometimes we speak of a church. The church is not a building. Uh, the, the true church is not everybody who comes to church. Uh, the true church is those who are true believers in Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes we refer to our local church here at Life Church as a church family. So what is it that makes God's family unique on the earth? Well, we are made one in Christ. Ephesians 2.12 speaks of this uh, amazing aspect or uniqueness of God's family. It says, remember that you, speaking of Gentiles, were at that time separated from Christ, speaking of the Old Testament times, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so in the Old Testament, the Gentiles or non-Jews, they were not part of the people of God that were in Israel. But when Jesus came, he offered himself up both for Gentile and Jew. He gave himself up as the ultimate sacrifice so that Every person's sins could be forgiven, whether they were Jews or Gentiles. And the Old Testament sacrifices were given only for Jews. But Jesus gave his sacrifice once and for all. And when you become, or when you, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, probably most of us are Gentiles, uh, you become part of God's family. As you believe in Jesus, you become a child of God. And when you become a child of God, you become part of God's family. You become a brother and sister with other believers and you enter into a unity and a peace and a oneness with every other member of God's family. Galatians 3.28 says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In, the, in other words, God's family is the only place on earth where nothing separates people from one another. All of our, there's nothing 
wrong with being a Jew or a Gentile. There's nothing wrong with being a slave or free or being male or female, but that doesn't separate us. We are one in Christ Jesus. We are united by our common faith. And so divisions between people are removed. Ephesians 2.14, the next verse in Ephesians says, For he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace, who has made, both, has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so because of Jesus, not only are we made one with every other believer, but the divisions, the walls, the hostilities that tend to occur between different kinds of people are broken down. They are removed. Now, these walls, these divisions, these hostilities are, are broken down between believers. There still is divisions between believers and unbelievers because we're in different families. We're not all part of God's family, unbelievers are not. And so there are divisions between believers and those outside. And we want other people who are not believers to become part of God's family, to become one uh, with believers. And so we have the children of God on one hand in God's family and those who are not yet believers. In fact, the Bible refers to them as, as enemies of God. They might not know it. Uh, until they give their hearts to Jesus Christ and then they come into the family of God, into the kingdom of God. But within God's family, within the church, there are to be no divisions. Just as there are no divisions in heaven. We see the picture of heaven reflected in Revelation where before the throne are people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every race, all together worshiping Jesus Christ. And so the family of God, the church, is to be a place where color, race, age, gender, social class, none of those external characteristics should separate us or cause divisions. So the church family is to be a diverse group of people who are united in their faith for Jesus Christ. So unfortunately, our, our culture has hijacked the word diversity, as they've hijacked many words. Uh, and so when we say the church is to be diverse, it's with regard to the way that God has created us. Uh, we're not diverse in condoning sinful behavior that is pointed out to us in God's word. So every person is valuable in God's eyes, and we're called to love one another in God's family. And as parents, we teach our children to love everyone, including people who are different than ourselves. Third question we want to ask this morning is, what is the legacy of God's family? How do we, as God's family, leave a legacy? You know, if a human family doesn't have any children, eventually the family line is going to die out, right? I mean, it's just going to end if, if uh, parents don't have children. In the same way, if God's family in a generation does not reproduce itself, it's likewise going to die out. Now, God is not going to let his family die out. Okay, so we don't need to be afraid about that. But he is, because he's promised to always preserve a, a remnant. But we have a responsibility in preserving the legacy of God's family by, by doing our part with our families in our church family. And some of the ways, we talked about this uh, several Sundays ago in the first message, but we're going to look at a different passage because it's such an important 
principle. We are to pass our faith stories down to our children. Look at Psalm 78, verse 3. It says, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And so as a believer, most likely, somebody has led you to the Lord. Uh, there's a few people that become a Christian simply by reading the Bible, but where did you get that Bible from? Uh, somebody gave it to you. Somebody printed it. I mean, there, there's always something, almost always something. Sometimes angels do appear to people, but it's not very common. But perhaps the person that led you to the Lord, it might have been a parent, might have been a relative, might have been a, uh, in a church meeting somewhere. Perhaps that person or others didn't help you to grow in your faith. And those people are your fathers in the Lord, as it were. They are the ones that have taught you. Those are the ones that have led you to the Lord. You've learned from them. And we, in turn, must teach our children and our grandchildren the things that we have learned, to pass on the faith stories of what God has done in our lives, the stories of how God has saved us, the stories how God has led us, the stories of how God has delivered us from different problems. The stories of how God has blessed us. And so we pass on those faith stories to our children, the next generation. So not only should we pass those faith stories on to our physical children, we must do the same with spiritual children. And so one of the ways that we, we do that, we help with that, is in our church families through our children's and youth ministries. And we uh, help teach Sometimes our own children, but other children as well. Uh, the things of God. And that way we help to raise, we work together to raise spiritual children. And as, as we are faithful in that calling, God is using us to leave a legacy both for our physical children and for our, our physical families and our spiritual families. So not only must we pass on faith stories, we must also teach our children God's word. Psalm 78 continues in verse 5 and says, He's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, speaking of God's word, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So every believing parent must teach their children God's word. It's, it's our responsibility. And those children then will in turn teach their children, who are yet to be born, and the legacy will continue. There are examples in the Old Testament where one generation basically, for the most part, failed to pass their faith on to their children, and the results were disastrous for the next generation. So we don't want to be like that. But what is the result of diligently teaching your children God's word? Verse 8, so that they should set their heart, their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And as we teach our children God's word, God will work in their hearts through the Holy Spirit so that they will put their faith and hope in God, so that they will have their own relationship with God, so that they will not forget the works of God. Of course, that's what will happen if we don't teach our children. They're going to forget. And if they don't forget, they put their hope in God, they're going to keep his commandments and in turn, 
they will arise and tell their children, which would be our grandchildren, the things of God. So that's the legacy God wants us to work to ensure happens. The primary responsibility for teaching physical, our physical children the things of God lays with the parents. Um, sometimes parents bring their children to church and it's the church's responsibility here. I'm bringing them, you, you teach them about God. And the church is here to supplement what the parent does with their children. But the primary responsibility lays with the parents. As a church family, we do seek to reach out to children, perhaps they do not come from believing families, and we'll do our best to help them along the way, that they find Jesus and that they grow in Jesus as well. Spiritual children come in all ages because the Bible teaches us when anyone, regardless of age, becomes a believer, they are a spiritual infant. And so in the church family, we need to help spiritual infants as well. Just as a physical baby needs support and care, uh, so a spiritual infant needs, needs uh, support and care to grow in their faith. Uh, and a spiritual infant can be, uh, can be a child of five years old or it could be somebody 50 years old. Uh, no matter your age, as you become a new believer, uh, you need help in our Church family is there to help people grow spiritually. So we're working together to pass on our faith legacy in our, in our physical families and also in our church family. And as we do that, the family of God grows, it continues, and it gets passed on from generation to generation. And so the family of God is a spiritual family. It's, it's unified in God. It is to have no divisions. But the perfect physical family doesn't exist, nor does the perfect church family. And so we have to recognize that we're living in a world that is imperfect. We are not yet in heaven, uh, but that is our goal. That God's will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. That God's will would be done in our families as it is in heaven. That God's will would be done in our church family as it is in heaven. And so we, as we seek to do that, we grow in all of these areas. And so God intends our families and our church family to be characterized by love, love for God and love for one another. Love overlooks a multitude of faults. Love always seeks to be reconciled with anyone who's hurt you. Love forgives. Love recognizes that I'm not perfect either. And neither are the people around us. And so that love in a church family makes it a place where external differences make us stronger rather than dividing us. And so my prayer is that our Life Church family and all the individual families that are represented here would more and more reflect the family of God with our Heavenly Father, with His children, just as God desires. So this morning... We want to give an opportunity, if you're not sure that you're part of God's family, if you're not sure that you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Him. Or perhaps you've done that in the past and you've wandered away or you feel like your faith is shaky this morning. I'd encourage you to recommit your life to Him because He is the only hope in our world. 
To become a believer according to the Bible. We talked about a lot of ways that you don't become a believer this morning. To become a believer, you need to admit that you've sinned. Sin separates us from God. Secondly, we need to believe in Jesus Christ. To put our hope and trust in Him. That He will forgive us and come into our lives. Then we commit our lives to following Him and His Word. And so I'd like to ask everyone to bow your heads right now. We're going to pray. If you never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, I encourage you to pray. God knows your thoughts. Pray in your minds a prayer similar to what I will pray aloud now. And if you do that, something will happen. Something spiritual will happen in your heart. And you will become a child of God. So let's pray. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I've been living my life according to my own plans rather than yours. I ask that you forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. I don't totally understand it, but I believe that. I ask you to forgive me to come into my life. I put my trust in you. And I commit myself to following you and your word all the days of my life. Thank you for making me a child of God. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today we we thank you for your word that instructs us in every area of our lives. We thank you for the privilege of being your children, of being children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We ask that you would help us to follow our Father's example in every area. Help us to guide our physical children and our grandchildren in your ways. Give us opportunities to impact the next generation with our faith and your word. I pray that our church would be a a place of love where People of every kind are welcomed and led to Jesus. We pray that your spirit would bring a complete unity and peace among us. Help us to be a place where the things that divide people in St. Louis would not be seen. We pray that our love for you and our love for one another would be reflected in all that we do. That people would know us that we are yours by our love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.